Hi, everybody. My name is Jared Milrad. I'm the founder of Movie Karma with a nonprofit organization focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, social impact, and representation in Hollywood that created our podcast here, Rewriting Hollywood. Uh, really excited to have a special guest joining us today on another episode uh, of our podcast. And today's guest is Faith Strongheart, who is joining us here from Los Angeles. Uh, her new film uh, that she directed is called Havana, um, set in the 1970s. It's about a tough money-driven man who sells exit visas illegally, um, but is forced to re-examine his life choices when his secret male lover comes looking for an exit visa for himself. Um, it's a winner of Best Student Short at the Downtown Los Angeles Film Festival very recently, uh, and it will be playing on PBS uh, on Wednesday, November 2nd, uh, as well as on Link TV at 11 p.m. on Thursday, November 3rd. Uh, which is available on Dish Network channel 9410 and DirecTV channel 375. So lots of opportunities to see the film and really excited to have Faith with us today to uh, talk about her journey and, and the film as well. Uh, Faith, thanks so much for being on the, on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let's dive in. We'd love to start, uh, Faith, with your background. Uh, you're an award-winning filmmaker, uh, originally I understand from Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, you have an MFA in directing from UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. You've written and produced and directed quite a few short films that have screened around the world at film festivals. Um, and you've also written some feature-length screenplays, TV pilots, and uh, also managed to fit in uh, being a production manager and supervisor on features and short-form short nonfiction projects um, for Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Sony, and many others. So... Lots of work you've already done. Um, tell us a little bit, if you would, about your kind of your journey and how did you end up, you know, coming into to wanting to direct and write? Sure. Um, I, you know, when I was young and trying to figure out what I wanted to study, I was first inter interested in photography um, and I studied photography uh, in my early sort of high school years I would say and then into college I got into the photo department first actually and um, I ended up getting a minor in photography and a major in film uh, for my degree and I really got turned on to film because there was a freedom in it I think that was lacking in photography that I could you know use multiple elements to sort of express myself um, and that I was a natural born storyteller. And so it just sort of fit that I was telling a story visually and auto, uh, orally, I guess. Um, yeah. So I got my, my bachelor's degree in um, moving image arts from the small now defunct college called the College of Santa Fe. Um, and my, during my, I think it was my second year of school in the summer, I wasn't working and I asked if there were any internships that I could do and there were a few projects going through New Mexico at the time and I got on to there was a documentary project that came through that I worked on and then this um it was kind of like a, a non-fiction type of format commercial thing I, it was for American Girl Doll but I through that, I met all of the local New Mexico crew. Hmm. And so from then on, I just got all my other jobs um, that 
supported me through the rest of my undergraduate career. So I, I really started working on commercials and music videos while I was still in college. And I would say to myself, if I do one, hopefully two commercials or music videos a month, then that would cover all my expenses and I could keep going. And so <laughs> I got comfortable with that work line of like freelance work early on because, you know, sometimes it would like not come until the very last minute and I'd be like, oh my God, I don't have a job. What's going to happen? And, um, and then upon graduating, there was a film being shot at the studios because the college that I went to had a studio attached to it, a small studio. And it was um, all the pretty horses that I think Billy Bob Thornton directed and they were hiring. And so I just, you know, I knew people who were working because I was connected with all of that local community already. And so then I finagled my way into a job there. And then that just led to the rest of my production work. Um, so while I was in school, I made a bunch of short films. I was working mostly on, um, I was doing a lot of experimental cinema, I would say, shooting mostly on 16 millimeter and really like allowing myself to just be totally free. And that school did not really have a narrative focus. It was really just about self-expression with the camera. And they really did um, not really introduce narrative filmmaking in the traditional sense at that school. Um, and so then for my thesis, I did a short documentary on Jonas Mikas, who was a filmmaker and poet, and he and I became good friends during that time, and then I later worked for him, and, um, and then I continued working on, you know, features, because I had to make a living, and uh, hmm. it's not like directors were knocking down my door, like studios saying, hey, we want you to direct, and my films, at the time when I graduated from undergrad, it wasn't like submitting to a film festival was a huge hassle because you had to make like physical tape copies and then send them out in the mail. And so it was all like really costly and kind of a hassle. So I didn't end up submitting any of my films to festivals at the time because I didn't have the time, I didn't have the money and I didn't have the resources to really make it happen. So I just went right to work and I continued working until 2007, I was invited to participate in this program that the state of New Mexico started called the New Mexico Filmmakers Intensive, which was um, a way to train above the line talent in New Mexico. And it was part of the incentive program that they offer in the state still to try to get homegrown writers and directors um, in New Mexico. And so the state um, funded the films and a producer and director team would get $10,000 to make a short film. So I did that in 2007 and made this film called Linda as in Beautiful, mm. which again, like I finished it and then I didn't really submit it to festivals. It played at the Santa Fe Film Festival because it was just auto an automatic entry into that festival. And then I went right back into work. And so then I just sort of like did not take advantage of that opportunity. And then 10 years later, less than 10 years later, I would guess about five years later, I'd been really like this nagging thing. Like I was working in production and like had a good career and feeling really satisfied, but also feeling like I had more to offer than what I was doing in my job. And so I was just like, I really want to become a creative and how do I do that and so then I um I did a year it was after I moved to LA I came to LA on a movie from a producer like brought me out on a movie that 
promptly went to another state, but, <laughs> um, but it brought me to LA. And then during my time in LA, I started doing screenwriting classes at UCLA Extension. And I worked for a year and I took from the same um, professor or teacher each quarter at Extension because I wanted the person that I started this story with to really track my progress throughout. And so I eventually I finished the screenplay in this year long effort. And then from that, I got this invitation to apply to the graduate program at UCLA. And I went to this info session and it was like the last day that applications were due. And um, I remember I asked the person at the info session, so if I want to apply, I have to wait until next year around the same time. And she said, if you get your application to me by Monday, I'll accept it by Monday at 5 p.m. And this was at fr on Friday at like 10 in the morning. Wow. So I was like, okay. So I went home and like worked on my application for the whole weekend and managed to pull it all together and submitted it by that deadline. And then surprisingly, like I went to work on another movie and forgot about it really, because you get just get like, you know, monovision when it comes to working on a film. And then I got an email saying that I was had an interview and I was like completely surprised. And so I came back and I had we had rented our place in LA. So I couldn't actually like stay back at our old place. I had to <laughs> stay in a hotel and interview. And then like two weeks later, I got a call saying I was accepted. And so um, I was very, at the time, it was like the best thing that could happen to me because I was feeling so fed up. Um, I was a coordinator and I was just like not enjoying being a coordinator anymore. And I was feeling really professionally frustrated. And so I was really grateful. Plus I was just, had just found out that I was pregnant with my first child. Wow. And so I was like, oh, this is good timing. I'll start school and go right into grad school or, you know, have my baby at the same time. And Five years later, I finished that degree and had two kids during that time and made five short films and wrote a bunch of scripts. I, I went into the program with this clear focus because in like the first couple of weeks, the head of the program said, you have to decide right now what you want to get out of this program and you have to make that happen for yourself. And so I was determined that I would come out with a strong body of work that I could use to launch my career. I did all of that and I'm still working on launching my career. <laughs> so I went back to work in production, which I'm very grateful that I have that to fall back on because it is like an excellent career and I'm, I'm very happy to be doing it. And I love that I get to work on movies all the time and still stay working. Um, that said, you know, it's, I'm constantly then on the side trying to hustle my directing and writing career and, and it's, you know, the great thing about school is that your focus is 100% on your creativity. And so it's very freeing and, and like a wonderful place to be. And so then the realities of life set in and you have to meet all of those demands. And yeah, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really fascinating journey. And thanks for walking us through it. Because I think it a lot of folks relate to it, I'm sure, in the industry and otherwise. But I think particularly creative folks will relate to that kind of those winding roads and and kind of trying to find your way while also balancing work and school and life and family um and the industry at large i wonder if you could expand on just you know why you think uh some of those challenges 
persists if you you know if you think they kind of ripple out and affect others, which I know I've certainly seen similar challenges for uh, particularly underrepresented voices in the industry, particularly women, you know, particularly folks of color, queer folks, and others in terms of you know having to pay the bills, you know, work a couple jobs. If you're in if your industry and in, in, even if you're in the industry, to your point, you you're not kind of where you want to be, but you sort of have to stay in that lane until you can get noticed in the other lane and it just seems like it's a really difficult um you know thing to, to manage like i wonder if you just talk about some of those challenges as you see it if, if you think they're applicable more broadly to folks and why they persist i mean it's interesting because and even in graduate school there there was talk of this um in the beginning you know just saying like you'll the the successes of some will surprise you like it's not it, there. Like big success doesn't have um, a you know. There's no formula to it, and so pe certain people have already really succeeded that what came out of the same program. That I'm like, I, it's not that I think that they're less filmmakers. It's just that we are equally talented, and so it's like, why why does this person have success and this person doesn't? And I think that um, rather than like be embittered by that it's good to just like recognize that i'm on my own journey right that my journey is like nobody else's and that um i think that my work is strong I, and i'm i think that i learn from each of my mistakes um and i think that i'm a good director so i think that um i it's hard for me to know you know i'm not on the the deciding end of things of why i i don't get into certain festivals or why i don't get into certain things that i apply to um and why other people do i think there is a lot to be said for how you present yourself right and how you market yourself and i think that um and also just like time and place like it just like sometimes you're in the right place at the right time and you meet the right person and you have that opportunity and I think that that's certainly right. a part of it. Um, I mean, I do think that having to come right out of school and go right back to work and not be able to totally focus on my directing career has its limitations, it means that I can't focus all that time I also am. A single parent I can't go out and network all the time right I can't go to a lot of events and like shake hands and meet people it's just like not what is I am capable of like all the time um and I'm not young anymore <laughs> so I'm also don't there's also something that I don't have what what I had when I was younger in terms of motivation and drive of really like you know wanting something I have that in a different way now it's not that it's less it's just that it's more focused in a way and um not as it's it's not even that there's not ambition it's just that the ambition has shifted in a way that is feels more like what's going to make me personally satisfied is this choice going to make me personally satisfied is doing this going to make me personally satisfied because i'm sacrificing a lot right it's not when you're younger and it's like you there's not a lot of things to sacrifice because you're just like on this road to tunnel vision or whatever then there's maybe you're not risking as much but now you know with a family and and having certain things it's like i have to weigh things a little more carefully in terms of the effects that they will have um yeah. that said i think that you know um a lot of it is just like relationships and who you know and then what any particular 
network or um, application or system is looking for in terms of material or individual or who knows? I mean, sometimes it's easy mm -hmm. to like want to give up, right? Because right, <laughs> like, right. you get a lot of rejections and it's like, mm -hmm. oh my God. I, even in grad school, I was like, am I, should I stay in this program? And is this like the right path for me? Like as soon as I got in, I thought, I don't know, is this the right thing for me? And I continued to feel that way throughout my um, grad school experience. And I stuck with it mainly because I had already started. I was like, okay, I've already invested now two years. I don't want to give up after two years. So I just kept going. And then I felt by, I think by my final fifth year, I was like, okay, I'm really feel good about having done this because I actually have grown a lot and I've learned a ton and I've also created all of this work that I'm really proud of. So um, I think there, like somebody said to me the other day, like part of it is just like redefining success, the older you get, I think, and, um, you know, feeling proud of the accomplishments that you have done and not necessarily bad if something hasn't happened that you think should happen at a certain time. To, I mean, I, you can't deny that the industry favors like young white men. <laughs> uh, I think that it's yeah. shifting, right? I mm -hmm. think that that's shifting, but definitely those they I they those relationships are more automatic, and you have to work mm -hmm. a bit harder if you're a woman, if you're an older woman, if you're disabled, if you're a person of color, um, any of you know, any kind of minority group, I think that it is shifting and depending on the program or the people that you're dealing with and their perspective that can be helpful, but it's not as automatic, I think. Yeah, it's not. And I think you raise a lot of really important points. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm the product of a single parent myself and, you know, I saw how hard my mom worked to raise kids and, and manage a career and pay the bills and, all the other things, right? Um, so you're you're managing a lot. I mean, I wonder, you know, and I want to get to talk about Havana in a moment, but I guess the last question I have on that point is just, is there, are there changes that you think would make life, you know, or your career easier in the sense of, or more equitable in the sense of, you know, you could really focus on your creative pursuits um, as opposed to, you know, trying to manage everything right i mean I look at other countries with universal basic income or countries like like the uk or australia or new zealand that have or denmark that have these kind of you know film funds that are publicly funded um how does that land with you in terms of some changes yes i mean i think that if we had like universal child care and right. <laughs> supported artists um mm -hmm. that you know and saw the value in that that these people could bring you know um, importance to our lives then the, and that was supported that would be wonderful and definitely um, any kind of film fund would be amazing if we had that I mean, that was something that I felt felt during, when I was you know doing that program at the state of New Mexico that they saw value in investing in their local filmmakers um, so yeah I mean certainly if I didn't if I could just focus on my creativity have free child care and not worry so much about how to pay my bills I'm sure six things would you know I would be able to make something happen more quickly <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and I, you know I just think it's important for for us to name that because yeah some folks might 
I don't know if our listeners would, but you know, some folks may hear that and say, that's, you know, pie in the sky, but, but I think the reality is artists can like yourself contribute so much. Um, and we meet them all the time, obviously who have to balance all these struggles that others do not. And so, so then there's that inequity, right. In terms of what yeah. you can produce and the opportunities you get yeah. um, in the industry. I want to talk about Havana because it's really fantastic short. that I hope folks will check out. It's, you know, tells us kind of combination I feel of both a really cultural focus story but also a you know, there's a queer love story um there's sort of the challenges of, of of navigating race and class and and um sexuality how did this story come about and and tell us a little about the project sure so this was a my post thesis graduate film that the department actually uh, funded and it was a collaboration between several departments so the production designers built a set and they had already designed and uh, decided that the set would be this apartment in Havana before we ever even were brought on and so that was already in process when we even you know got into this particular class and then they selected four directors and four MFA screenwriters. And then we got matched with a screenwriter. And I think they matched them. I mean, we didn't, we didn't choose. It was the you know, professors who chose. And I think they matched directors and writers based on our sensibilities and the kinds of things that we were interested in, the kinds of films that we made and wrote. Um, and so I got matched with Barbara Suarez and then we auditioned actors together that were part of the MFA program at UCLA. And we selected our actors and it was really, I mean, there were only, I think, eight actors that we could choose from and there were four films, right? And so we, some, some actors have, um, are in multiple films of those four, but we, you know, some of it was negotiating with the other directors. Oh, well, we'll trade this actor, you know, mm -hmm. to try to make the combos work. And so we, we had our setting and our actors before we ever even had a story or a script. And so then um, after we had those factors sort of decided upon, we thought about the kinds of stories we were interested in telling and we knew we wanted to tell like a dramatic story and but we didn't really know uh, anything other than that. And then we went or I think, I don't think we went together. I went to this um, exhibit at the Annenberg that was on Havana at the time and they had a bunch of photographs and it was a, it was not that big, but one of the, and one of the photographs, um, and I think there were several of them, it was a series, but they talked about how being gay in Cuba was illegal until 1979. So I became really intrigued with this idea. And they actually had this, um, like a trans prostitute person who was really like common and, and I think more common after they, they lifted the ban. Um, so I really was interested in this idea of like that you could be imprisoned if you were gay. And so then I thought, let's, let's do, we have, we're working with this very masculine actor. So let's make him gay and then figure out how we can, why, why is he gay? And like, what is he hiding in the secret? Like it's more than just the secret of his homosexuality. Like he's, his whole identity is a secret in some ways. And so and so I think it was Barb, like we were, it was very collaborative and the, in the like figuring out the story. And then Barbara suggested that he be, you know, issuing visas and that his lover comes and gets the visa and, that, and because he wants to leave. And 
we, our other actor, Xiao Fei, is a Chinese. And so we actually researched where there are Chinese people in Cuba. And there was like a Chinese settlement in Cuba. And so um, it all kind of like historically, it's accurate. I mean, we couldn't shoot it in Spanish because none of our actors spoke Spanish. Um, so we tried to, in the beginning, kind of introduce that element um, a little bit so that it felt authentic. And then, um, yeah, I mean, she would write a draft and then I would give her notes and that went back and forth like five times until we decided on our script. And then she was there on set when we shot it and any kind of subtle changes that we made during the shoot she was there to approve and so yeah really neat um, it, it's a really neat story I think a lot of folks you know don't know about um and I know Cuba just legalized marriage equality and same-sex marriage I think in the last just few days through a referendum as well as uh, adoption for LGBTQ plus couples which is which was really exciting um so I wonder like what do you think the impact of this faith this project is in terms of you know, folks who may not know this history, both in Cuba and, and abroad, and hopefully what it might offer people for the future of, of the fight for equality. Yeah, I really, at the, it's funny because I really struggled with, at the end of the film, having like a slug line that kind of had that ex explained it a little bit like historically and then I decided not to I was like let's just let the film stand on its own and not try to be like this explainer of history <laughs> so I'm hoping that you know I mean regardless of whatever the history of Cuba is and and being gay in Cuba that the story itself just stands on its own as like a, a story of loss and of you know regret and how we don't stand up for who we are until it's too late. Um, that's really what I think, I hope people take away from it is more like the story of these two people or these three people and this kind of entangled relationships and, and how um, our hearts get broken all the time. <laughs> yeah, they do. And it's, um, it is, you know, painful in some ways to watch uh, because obviously this, the, the story of, of just, yeah, you said loss and, and immigration and, and these tough decisions we have to make are really real for people. Um, I wonder in these last few moments, if you comment, Faith, in terms of what's next for you, what kind of projects are you looking to do? What are you excited by? Um, give us a sense of that. Sure, I have some I'm working on a feature doc that I started in my last year of grad school and that's just like a labor of love that I've been working on since then that I'm uh, it's a it's a personal documentary about growing up as a hippie in New Mexico. Um, and I've written a bunch of features and I have the TV pilot that I wrote that I'm really excited about that I'm uh, getting ready to pitch so it's really you know, when I'm, if I can shoot something awesome, but when I can't shoot something, I just write and I continue to write so that I can continue with that creativity and having a body of work. Yeah. Wise words for anyone listening who is creative. I think just finding any way you can to stay creative is, yes. is really, really important. Um, well, congratulations on this film. A faith again, folks I haven't seen it's called Havana. It's, it's really fantastic. And we're excited to see what you do next. Again, our guest today, Faith Strongheart. Um, I hope folks will check out the, the screenings that are upcoming uh, on PBS and also just follow you uh, in general and see what you do next. Thanks again for, for being on the show. Thanks for having me.